Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. We're going to get into the Word, and uh, if this is your home church, you also know that for the past six weeks, we have been in a series entitled The Kingdom, A Christian Manifesto. I, I, that was a weird way to say manifesto. Manifesto, not manifesto. Manifesto. Uh, but we're talking about this subject that Jesus spoke about so frequently in his teachings. It was the predominant subject matter of, of his preaching, more than uh, prayer or grace or mercy or many of the other things that we generally attribute to his ministry. He talked about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And yet, despite the frequency in which it appears in scripture, it still remains widely misunderstood and and honestly misapplied to our lives. Most of us don't necessarily have a grasp on the kingdom. It isn't talked about often. And so the aim of this series is to fix that. If Jesus cared so deeply about this subject, if it was the main thing he talked about, then we as New Testament believers should know what the kingdom is and know how to apply its principles to our lives. Uh, If you are new today, let me catch you up to speed a little bit from the past five weeks. Uh, This word manifesto defined, it means this, a public declaration of policy and aims, a public declaration of policy and aims. Uh, It carries with it the idea that there is a new leader in charge and under their leadership, under their governance, everything is about to change. What was once common practice or normal or acceptable before is now no longer permissible under this new rule and this new reign. And Jesus suggests just that as he steps onto the scene and he begins to teach about this thing called the kingdom. He says, hey, everything you've known before now is about to change. If you are going to follow me, if you are going to allow me to be the leader of your life, everything is about to change. Your value systems are going to change. The way that you think uh, economically, politically, everything is going to change as a result of following me if you truly step into my leadership. In fact, it's so countercultural that many have called it an upside-down way of thinking. Hence the upside-down graphic and the upside-down video we've posted on Instagram. It is an inverted way of life. It completely flips everything you've known on its head. And so for the last couple of weeks during every one of these sermons, minus last week, because Pastor Jules didn't know, wasn't Pastor Jules great last weekend? It was amazing. I told him, I said, hey man, if I lived in Oakland, I would come to your church. And, uh, but I'm not sending anybody there, even if they're from Oakland, okay? I don't care how good you are, I'm holding on to our people, all right? So, but uh, we've been asking ourselves this question during four of those five weeks. And it's an important question as we consider Jesus's teachings, especially as he applies them to our lives. And it's this, am I a kingdom person? Am I a kingdom person? Have the teachings of Jesus, the ways of Jesus so radically transformed the way I do life? Has it flipped everything I've known on its head? Has it changed the way I pursue my future? Has it changed the way I suffer through situations? Has it changed my perspective and my pursuits? And my, has it changed everything about my life? Or is it just sort of a weekend hobby for me? Is Christianity nothing more than something I tap into on a Sunday and then live my life the same way I did before? It's an important question to consider if Jesus's words ring true. And today we are going to once again face that question as we look at this next kingdom principle, one that if misunderstood, in fact, many have and have used it as an off-ramp to their faith and tapped out a little bit early, but when understood and applied to our lives will allow us to navigate through difficult seasons, yes, even seasons like the one we've experienced this last week with some fresh perspective. And, and here's the, the kingdom principle I wanna unpack today. 
there's a blessing in the battle. There's a blessing in the battle. Uh, in fact, if I could offer, someone's already getting excited, let's go. If I could offer a subtitle, because I love to do that, uh, I want to call this secondary chat, uh, it's only 30 seconds, which makes no sense right now, but you'll understand it later. There's a blessing in the battle. Here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how to, about how to fight like kingdom people. Come on, where are my fighters in the room? Some of the aggressive personalities. <laughs> Buckle up, Enneagram 9s is going to get uncomfortable for you, all the peacemakers in the room. Now, we're going to talk about fighting today. One of my favorite scriptures I quote it often is, is, is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. I think about this scripture all the time where the apostle Paul looks at his protege, Timothy, and he says, hey, I want you to fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. There's only one kind of fight that classifies as a good fight. That's the fight that you win. Come on, somebody. If you lose the fight, it's not a good fight. I know that some of you watch UFC and boxing and violence on television. The Lord will sort that out with you. Uh, but, you know, a fight will go 10 rounds and finally at the end of 10 rounds, someone gets knocked out and you're like, all right, I didn't pay $100 for pay-per-view for nothing. That was a good fight today. Well, you know who it's not a good fight for is the dude or the female, equal opportunity, on the ground, bloody and beaten up at the end of that 10 rounds. They're not like, that was a great fight. No, they're on the ground, beat up. It's only a good fight if you're standing over the top of your opponent, come on, with your hands lifted in the air in victory and you've won, then it's a good fight. Well, that's the kind of fight we're gonna talk about today, a good fight. Because here's what I, I know to be true and as I've walked with God and walked with people. I, I think that there are a lot of people that step out of the ring prematurely, not because they're weak or insignificant or overpowered, but because they've forgotten that there is a blessing in every battle. So, so let's go to our, our key text. Uh, we're going to look at the book of Matthew today, chapter 11. And as we go there, let me, let me offer a disclaimer. Uh, I have preached a sermon on this text before. In fact, as I look back uh, through my notes, it was almost exactly two years ago as we were getting into the first phase of the pandemic there. And uh, specifically, we were focusing on dealing with disappointment and uh, we applied the text uh, here. But today we're gonna look at it from a different angle. I love that the Bible is like an onion. You can just keep peeling it layer after layer and there's always some fresh revelation. There's always a new way to look at the scriptures and, and you can read the same book over and over and over again every single year and get something new out of it. And so we're gonna look at this text from a different angle and see what Jesus has to say about the kingdom. Uh, Matthew 11 verse two says this, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we be looking for someone else? Jesus told him, go back to John, or them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and what you have seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear and the dead are raised to life and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, blessed are those who do not fall away because of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about John to the crowds. I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom is greater than he is. And then here's the kingdom principle. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent people take it by force. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Those are fighting words right there. And we're gonna get into it as, as, as we pray. So let's, let's, uh, let's pray very briefly and get on with the sermon. Jesus, we ask right now that you'd open our hearts to receive from you. Lord, we, we, uh, we, we pray that 
every person in this room would have a fresh fight in their spirit by the time we leave today. Lord, that you would teach us not only how to navigate passively through these seasons of, of, of difficulty, but you'd show us how to fight in the midst of them so that we can come out victorious on the other side. We love you. Thank you for what you're gonna do in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen, amen. So a couple of weeks ago in uh, one of the sermons in this series, I, I mentioned that there is perhaps no clearer picture of the kingdom and what it's supposed to look like as a kingdom person than the famous sermon of Jesus, the sermon that we call now the Sermon on the Mount. If you wanna know what it looks like to live like a kingdom person, look no further than the red letters of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus talks about it extensively, he leaves no stone unturned, no area of life unaddressed. He talks about kingdom living quite a bit there. But, but I mentioned in that sermon that unlike politicians or modern day preachers, Jesus does not waste any time with winsome words at the beginning of his sermon. And he doesn't tell jokes to try to win over the crowd so that he can feed them truth afterwards. He just goes, hey, I like telling jokes. Don't clap for that. Uh, but, uh, but, but he goes right for the throat. He, he just gets right into the ring and starts fighting with some of these aggressive statements. And I think some of the most intense countercultural upside down kingdom statements that Jesus ever made are right at the beginning of this sermon on the mount. Look at some of these like insanely upside down statements that Jesus makes. Matthew 5 he says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn." We're just talking about that a moment ago, "for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing what is right." for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, when they post stuff about you that isn't true, when they say all kinds of evil against you for my sake, for great is your reward in heaven. Now, now call me crazy, but those do not feel like blessed situations to me. <laughs> like I've spent a little bit of time on social media. I've looked at the hashtag blessed posts before, right? No one's ever posting about this stuff. Right? There's no guy who's about to serve 25 to life for being wrongly accused, taking one last selfie in his orange jumpsuit. Hashtag blessed. Like he's not, no. That's, that, that, that's not something you celebrate. There's no person who's been rejected by all of their friends and their followers because they're a Christian sitting alone in a coffee shop taking a selfie. Hashtag blessed. It's not a blessed situation. I have a friend whose wife was recently laid off from her job because she was committed to maintaining her Christian convictions in the work environment, and she was being asked to do something that contradicted her beliefs. And so she said, I'd rather lose my job than, than compromise what I believe to be true, and she lost her job. Yeah, it's worth applauding, but she didn't get on Instagram and post a picture of her last paycheck, hashtag blessed, <laughs> no. She actually posted hashtag lawsuit is what she posted on Instagram, yeah. Like these situations seem to be a complete denial of reality. What is Jesus talking about here? Like this does not feel like something good that we should celebrate and suggest that, that we are blessed. In fact, in our flesh, in our humanity, most of us would call these situations cursed, not blessed. Persecution, rejection, poverty, these are not things that we celebrate and say, oh, I'm just so blessed right now. And yet what Jesus seems to be suggesting in the text here to both his hearers then and today is this. Kingdom people process things a little bit differently. Kingdom people do not look at trials and situations and loss and rejection as if they are curses 
Kingdom people understand that those moments are actually battles to fight. And not just any battle, but a battle that contains a blessing. A battle that contains a blessing. Come back briefly and let's, let's look again at what Jesus says in, in Matthew 11 here. This is an interesting phrase. In response to John's disciples, Jesus continues to use this kind of beatitude language from Matthew 5. And he says this, blessed are those who do not fall away because of me. Blessed are those who don't tap out, who don't leave the faith as a result of the way that I do things. Now, now this is an interesting moment. What we're witnessing here in Matthew chapter 11 is a faith crisis that I would, I would suppose many of us, if not most of us in the room have been involved in before. And if you're new to faith, don't worry, you're gonna find yourself in this situation at some point. And here's the crisis. It is, it is the, the fork in the road moment where you have to decide, am I gonna bail on Jesus right now because things are not the way I thought they were supposed to be? Or am I going to walk through this season of difficulty? It's where you have to determine if your faith allows for seasons of suffering or if you have bought into a watered down version of the gospel that does not include any trial, any tribulation, any problems. This is what we're witnessing in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, at the behest of John, he sends his disciples to Jesus and he, he asks them ask Jesus a very interesting question. He says, are you the Messiah that we have been waiting for or should we be looking for somebody else? Now, now that seems like a relatively innocent question, right? I mean, I think we want all humanity to ask that question at some point. We want everybody to go, is Jesus truly the Messiah of the world? So it seems like an innocent question coming from John. However, considering the source and considering the context, this is a, a, an incredibly inappropriate question. And, and I would say borderline irreverent question to be asking Jesus. Here's why I say that. Remember, John is the last person in all of scripture who should be asking Jesus whether or not he is the Messiah. Not only is he Jesus's cousin, the same guy that leapt in his womb when Mary, the mother of Jesus, walked into Elizabeth when she was pregnant with John. He, I mean, he literally experienced the power of God in the womb, and maybe you don't remember that, I don't know, but he experienced the power of God before he was even born. But this John was out by the Jordan River baptizing people, and one day he baptized Jesus and Jesus came out of the waters and John witnessed the spirit of God descend upon Jesus like a dove. And he heard the father say from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. If there's anybody on the planet who should have enough evidence to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, it's John. He literally audibly heard God say, this is the Messiah. So, so what would cause somebody with such undeniable evidence of God's reality, what would cause somebody with such a devout follower of Jesus to ask a question like this? In modern terms, something to the effect of, have I been following Jesus in vain? Because things are not going the way that I, I thought they were supposed to go. Have I been wasting my time with this devout commitment to the Messiah, or should I be looking for another way of life? What would cause someone like John to ask that question? One word, battle. Specifically, in his case, a battle behind bars. See, we're told at the beginning of this text that John finds himself in prison at this moment. And if you go back and read the story, the reason John is in prison is because he did the right thing. 
he was speaking out against the king, Herod, who had taken his brother's wife and was committing adultery. And so John is speaking with conviction about the things of God and suggests, hey, maybe this isn't the way you're supposed to live your life, King Herod. And Herod doesn't like being put on front street. And so he puts John in prison and he says, this is where you're going to rot. And so now this guy who was doing the right thing, the one whom Jesus said was the greatest man who ever lived, no offense to all of the other people in the room, but the greatest person who ever lived this guy who baptized thousands at the Jordan River and literally baptized the Son of God is rotting away in a prison cell for doing a godly thing. And so he asks, hey, what gives? I thought, I thought like following you was gonna be a good thing. <laughs> and here I am in prison. What's the deal, Jesus? Now, if I'm Jesus, here's how I respond to that situation don't play that game. You're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus, but let's play it out for a second. If I'm Jesus here, I'll ask how I respond to that situation. I go, Oh, Oh, you're curious. Okay. I would open up my Bible and I would say, um, see here in, in, in chapter five, the sermon on the rock, I'm going to quote myself real quick, John. Uh, I quote myself and I say, blessed are those who are persecuted for doing the right thing. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I will highlight this scripture for you. I will send it back to you in prison. And I will remind you, you probably heard this sermon. You were there when I was preaching it. And I will remind you that this is not news. Hey, I didn't tell you that following me was gonna be like unicorns and rainbows and merry-go-rounds. Like life is not gonna be perfect because you decided to follow me. In fact, quite the contrary, I warned you up front. I gave you the fine print when you signed up for this thing. There's gonna be some persecutions, cuz. That's how things work in this. You don't get to flip the world upside down and suggest that everything that the culture knows to be true and normal is no longer applicable without experiencing a little bit of persecution, John. So I'm sorry to break it to you once again, but if you had just read the book, you'd know you're gonna find some persecution in your faith. But that's not what Jesus does, because he's not me. Being intimately aware of John's fragile spiritual state and probably being intimately aware of the fragile spiritual state of John's disciples as they come to ask Jesus this question, he, he answers with much more intentional language. He, he says this, hey, blessed are those who do not fall away on account of me. In other words, John Blessed are those who don't see their battles as an opportunity to tap out and quit the faith. John, I see you. I, I see that you are struggling. I see that you're questioning and wondering why you're walking through what you're walking through right now. I, I see that you're asking that famous question. If God was real, how could this happen? And I know that as you're facing that question, this season seems like an opportunity to take an off-ramp. I, I understand what you're feeling, but can I just, can I have you pause for just a second and have you consider an alternative perspective? Can I have you stop for a moment and, and just consider maybe what you're facing right now is not evidence of my neglect, evidence of the fact that I don't want anything to do with you or an opportunity for you to take a convenient off-ramp in your faith. Maybe what you're facing is not 
an opportunity to fall away, but it's an invitation to fight. Maybe you've been invited onto a battleground where there is a blessing if you just fight. Maybe. In fact, let me, let me stop for a moment and let me personalize this. Instead of talking about John, let's talk about ourselves. Can I suggest to you today that maybe the proverbial prison cell that you find yourself in, maybe the challenge that you're facing, maybe, maybe the, the diagnosis or the broken relationship or the wayward child or the financial loss or whatever it is that you are walking through right now, maybe it is not evidence of God's neglect in your life. Maybe it isn't because you are reaping what you've sown. Maybe it isn't because there's a convenient off-ramp for you to go, this faith thing doesn't work, this church thing doesn't work, I'm bouncing on God. Maybe the king himself has invited you onto a battlefield and he said, son, daughter, will you stay here and fight because there's something on the other side of this if you do, or will you, like so many others, use this as an opportunity to bail on your faith? In fact, let me take it a step further. Maybe your willingness to stay and fight is actually proof that you're a kingdom person and not just a fair weather follower of Jesus, not some weekend warrior of the faith. I, I was, as I was studying, I read this quote from Spurgeon and I, I just could not help but put it in the sermon. Look, look at what Spurgeon says. He says, my hearer, have you ever been one of these violent men or are you so now? Blessed be God if this holy violence is in your spirit. You shall take heaven by force yet. You shall take it by storm and carry the gates of heaven by the battery of your prayers. Only persevere with importunity, still plead, still wrestle, still continue to strive, and you must at length prevail. But ah, my hearer, if thou hast never had a strong, unconquerable anxiety about thy soul, thou art yet a stranger to the things of God. Translation, if you don't know how to fight, you may not be a kingdom person because kingdom people know how to stay in the battle and fight. So, so, so let me do what I do every week. Let me ask you that very uncomfortable question to personalize all of this. Let me ask you, are you fighting or are you fleeing? I don't know your situation. I don't know what you're walking through right now. I don't know what difficulty you're facing. You do. Are you fighting like a kingdom person? Is there some holy violence inside of you? Have you accepted the invitation to stand and plant your feet on the battlefield and say, I'm not leaving until I get the thing that God promised me? Or have you tucked your tail between your legs, walked out of the ring, walked off the battlefield and used it as an opportunity to say, maybe this Jesus thing doesn't work. If you find yourself in the latter category, here's how I wanna conclude in our last portion of this sermon together. I wanna give you a couple of reasons why Christians stop fighting. Because as I said earlier, it's not because you're weak. It's not because you're outpowered or outgunned. Come on, you, you know that your God is greater than whatever you're facing right now. There's something that has robbed the fight from you. And as, uh, as, a, as a wise sage once said, if we wanna defeat our enemy, we need to know his strategy. So we need to understand why we are not fighting right now. So, so let me give you a couple of thoughts for some diagnostic work in our souls today. I think one of the main reasons that Christians stop fighting is this, it's mistaken origin, mistaken origin. In other words, we've mistaken the origin of our opposition. We don't know where it's coming from. Let, let, me, uh, let me read back again, Matthew eleven twelve. 12. Again, Jesus makes this statement, it's an odd one, but he says, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Now, 
just reading that statement by itself is a bit of a head scratch. What does Jesus mean here? But as we dig into the original language of this text, we get a little more clarity about this because it speaks to the origin of our opposition. Look at, look at this, this phrase in the Greek, to suffer violence, it's the word biatso. And it means to use force, to inflict violence, and then the verb tense is reflexively. And I'm gonna nerd out on you for a second, okay? So just, just follow me. Reflexively to use force or to inflict violence. In other words, it is in response to something. This violence is our response to something. It's not that kingdom people are just violent for the sake of being violent. Some kingdom people maybe wanna be kingdom people are violent just for being violent, okay? You see them out there, they're the angry people on social media, they talk all the trash and they give the rest of us a bad name. Hopefully they attend another church in our city, just kidding. But, but it's not that like there's this pent up aggression inside of us as Christians or, you know, this unquenchable thirst for conflict. That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, if he was saying that, it would be in direct contrast to some other things he said in the Beatitudes. Because in Matthew chapter five, he also said, blessed are the meek and blessed are the peacemakers. So Jesus doesn't contradict himself here. Instead, what he's saying here is that this violence, kingdom violence, it is in response to some specific opposition. What is that opposition? Well, the apostle Paul says it like this in Ephesians 6, 12. He says, we do not war against flesh and blood, but we battle against principalities and powers, demonic things in this age. In other words, you're not fighting against people. I know that you might have some drama with some people in your life right now, but you're not actually fighting against them. It's not that person that is your enemy. It's not that situation that you gotta tell them off and get in there, that, that you're not fighting against them. There's actually a demonic force in power at work trying to oppose you, trying to divide you, and you need to focus your violence and your aggression on the demonic thing that's taking place, not on the individual. Come on, let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me teach some theology here for just a moment. Let me remind all of us today, you have a real enemy and his name is Satan. And his job description is simple, to steal, to kill, and to destroy everything good that God wants to do in your life. And he's rather proficient at it. He works overtime to meet up to his job description. He will mess with your family. He'll try to take out your kids. He'll divide your marriage. He'll try to decimate your finances. He'll work on your health. He'll do whatever he can to steal, kill, and destroy everything God wants to do in your life. But I think one of his most cunning battle strategies is this, it's spiritual confusion. He likes to try to confuse the believer. Specifically, he likes you to confuse demonic attack with divine sovereignty. Let me say it this way. He likes you to blame God for the things that the devil's doing in your life. And you've heard it said before. People have said things like, well, you know, God's just paying me back for what I did. This is, this is God just, you know, it's sowing and reaping. And there might be some truth to that. But, you know, God's, God's angry, he's taking, or, or God's just trying to teach me a lesson right now. He's letting this happen in my life because he's trying to teach me something. Or here's my least favorite one. Oh, that person died because heaven just needs another angel right now. People say that one all the time. What is that? That's confusing demonic attack with divine sovereignty. For the enemy knows that if you can blame God for what's happening in your life, then you will stop fighting because who among us wants to fight against God? But listen to me, church, do not get it twisted. That is not God. Demonic attack is not God. Psalm 119 says it like this. God is good and he only does good. As the preacher said, if it ain't good, 
it ain't God. And if it ain't good yet, then God's not done. Come on, somebody. Yes, that's the way it works. His plans for you are good. They are not to harm you. They are not to kill you. They're not to take you out, to destroy you, to give you a hope and a future is what scripture says. Sickness is not from God. Attack is not from God. Poverty is not from God. These do not find their origin in him. We need to call attack for what it is. We need to look at the opposition and call it for what it is. Otherwise we'll stop fighting. But if I understand, oh, there's an enemy coming against me right now, then I will plant my feet. I will get violent in the spirit and I'll begin to fight in prayer and I will fight in the word and I will fight in fasting and I will fight in believing and I will fight in contending because I'm not stepping off this ground if this is ground that God has given to me. Oh, come on, somebody. In fact, let me, let me, let me take it a step further. You need to understand that opposition in your life is nothing more than proof of progress. It is proof that you are in the center of God's will that you are taking ground in the spirit. Do not get your mind, oh, God's coming. No, it is proof that you are doing exactly what God wants you to do. The devil does not mess with couch riding, lazy, lukewarm, do nothing for the kingdom kind of Christians. They pose no threat to hell. I don't even know if we can call them a Christian if they're just sitting around punching a time card saying they're going to church, because that's not what it means to be a Christian. No, that, that's not kingdom living. But tell you what, if you start to say, no, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna serve. My marriage is gonna be a picture of God's grace. My kids are gonna be raised in the house of God. Buckle up, you're gonna find some opposition because you have stirred up the hornet's nest in the spirit and the enemy is ticked. I would be more concerned as a believer if you are experiencing no opposition in your life because it's probably an indicator that you aren't doing jack for Jesus right now. But if you are and opposition comes, acknowledge it for what it is. Oh, I see what's happening right now. The enemy is threatened. The devil is nervous. I'm taking ground for the kingdom. So I'm not gonna lay back and stop fighting because I'm being opposed. I'm gonna lean in all the more for greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And as long as I keep on fighting, come on, I will win. I took a little longer on that point than I needed to. Okay, number two. Second reason Christians stop fighting is because they're fighting alone. They're fighting alone, fighting alone. You were never created to fight and to do this life by yourself. Faith is impossible in isolation. You, you, you've seen the, the Discovery Channel, right? You know how it works. The cheetahs, the lions, the tigers, the bears, oh my. They, they go after the animal that's isolated from the rest of the herd. There's the Australian guy, yeah, there he is, getting down into the tulies. They found the one. He's out there by himself. And now he's going to pounce on you. Like you've seen that. You've seen That's how it works. And then, you know, the soundtrack comes on. It's the circle of life. Yeah. Well, the circle of life also teaches us a spiritual truth. You get taken out in isolation. You try to do life outside the herd. You try to do life by yourself as a follower of Jesus. You are the target for the enemy. I love a message my wife preached a couple of years ago. We were in a series uh, called Two are, are Better Than One, and we were looking at Ephesians chapter four and that principle. And uh, she was talking about this, this scripture that says, if one goes out to fight alone, that they can be attacked and be defeated. But if you're fighting with somebody else, you can stand back to back 
and you can fight with one another. And she had a really cool visual on stage. I have a photo of it actually right here. Uh, but this is her and her friend Priscilla with a couple of Charlie's Angels right there. It's great. Uh, but uh, they were standing back to back with a machete and a very large sword that is courtesy of the place where we gather at the Masonic Center here because they have plenty of those swords running around. Don't know what they do with them. Just pray about it. Uh, but that was the visual. Hey, two people standing back to back because we can fight for one another. Your back isn't supposed to be exposed as a believer. There's supposed to be some people that have your back, not just proverbially, oh, I got your back, boo, but that are fighting with you in prayer, that are fasting with you in difficult situations, that are saying, we're gonna do this thing together. You were not created to fight alone. So allow me to be the broken record and say the same thing over and over and over and over again because I say it all the time, but I will say it again. If you are alone and you are in this church, that's on you. That's your fault. We have made it incredibly easy to become a part of the family here at the Father's house and ensure that you got some people fighting with you. If you could stop attending church on a Sunday morning and nobody knows about it, that's a problem. If no one here knows your name, that's a problem. And let me take it a step further. If no one here knows the real you behind the mascara, behind the cover up, behind the mask, proverbial and literally, if no one knows the real you, that's a problem. And it's a problem you need to fix. If you have come here time and time, listen, this is not some religious institution that you check into on a Sunday morning and say, okay, I did my thing. This is the family of God. We're supposed to link arms and be, in fact, as it pertains to battle, this is your platoon. These are the people that fight with you. These are the people that walk through difficult seasons with you. And you gotta be numbered among the soldiers so that you got some people that fight with you. If you've never gone back to that connect table, it's literally that simple. Be numbered among the people here. Let us know who you are. If you're not in a group, join a group. If you're not serving, do something so that someone knows who you are so that when, not if, when you find yourself with a lion on your tail trying to take you out because you were in the middle of a difficult situation, you know I'm not running alone. I got somebody running like this ready to take out that lion on my behalf. Do not fight alone. Do not fight alone. All right, I'm out of time. Band, you guys can come. Number three, number three. I'll be shorter winded at the 11. You guys are the crash test dummy at the nine o'clock. All right, so we know how this works. Can't call you a dummy. You're the crash test brilliant people. Okay. Number three, blinded to the blessing. The reason people stop fighting is because they are blinded to the blessing. Um, or as our title suggested, they've forgotten that there is a blessing in every battle, a blessing in every battle. Let's, let's conclude where we started today in these beatitudes of Jesus. This odd language he uses, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing what is right, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you for my sake, for great is your reward in heaven. You, you see the pattern here, right? You, you see that Jesus doesn't just say, hey, you're blessed because you're mourning and then leaves it there. Hey, you're blessed because you've been persecuted. It doesn't feel like I'm, but with every single one of these battle situations, he promises a blessing on the other side of it. He says, yeah, yeah, yeah you, might, you might be mourning right now. There might be a difficult chapter you're walking through. Maybe, maybe it's loss, maybe it's financial, maybe it's a child that's away from God. I, I know that you're mourning, 
Bible says in Psalms that he collects every single tear in his bottle in heaven. He knows, but he says, even in the middle of that battle, if you'll stay fighting, there's a blessing on the other side of that. I will comfort you like nobody on this planet can comfort you. Though weeping may last through the night, there is joy that comes in the morning. If you stay the course in that battle, I got you. There's a blessing. Hey, I, I know that you've been rejected. Your family is kind of keeping their distance from you now that you're a believer. Or you've lost some friends in this decision to, to truly surrender everything to me and to follow me as I've commanded you to. I see it. I see every bit of it. And I'm not gonna leave you hanging. I'm not gonna deplete your life just for the sake of depleting your life. In that battle, I'll give you a blessing, a blessing that will eclipse everything that you are losing in this life. It is eternal in nature. All of it is being stored up for you in eternity. What does the Apostle, pay, Apostle Paul say? Yeah, I, I can endure this difficult season right now. These are light and momentary sufferings in light of the glory that I'm gonna inherit one day. There's a blessing if you will stay the course in the battle. Jesus knows that if you can see the blessing, you will endure the pain of the battle. I said at the beginning that I wanted an alternative title for this chat. It's only 30, say that with me. It's only 30 seconds. It's only 30 seconds. Here's why. Um, thank you for asking. The, the answer is yes, I have been losing weight. Um, shouldn't have laughed at that, that's cool. Uh, but the reason um, I've lost a few pounds is because uh, my wife and I are preparing uh, I'm not counting, but it's exactly five weeks from today at 2 p.m. Uh, to get on a plane and uh, go away for some, some long overdue vacation. And uh, the way we work is vacation always involves the beach. We don't vacation in, you know, other random places. I need a beach somewhere. And so uh, we've been working on our beach bodies for the last 90 days. And trading in my dad bod for a beach body. It's great. And uh, a friend of mine sitting in the front row here, Mr. Eric Flato, uh, he encouraged us to all step into a 20 year old workout program in addition to dieting and all the other stuff uh, to really just, just bring this beach body into, in, into fruition. And it's a program called P90X. Anyone ever done P90X before? Any P90Xers? Okay, I got a few fans in the room, all right. Um, it's horrible. Worst, I mean, every day you feel like you're going to throw up which is a great way to lose weight, I guess. Just work until you throw up and then you lose weight. But I mean, it is intense. It is a serious workout program. Uh, and you know, it's old school. So like the, the videos are weird. Before like, before there were Pelotons and like streaming and modern workouts, there were like DVDs and tapes. Some of you are old enough to remember that. Like Buns of Steel and like Tybo with Billy Blanks and Sweatin' to the Oldies with Richard Simmons. Come on, somebody. The top of that list though was Tony Horton and P90X. And P90X is brutal, man. It's it, it, like this one workout, every single Tuesday we do this workout. It's called plyometrics, which just sounds painful. But, but plyometrics is literally 45 minutes of 30 second intervals of just jumping. You're like lunging, jumping, you're squatting, jumping, you're turning and jumping, you pretend jump rope. I mean, it's just nonstop. I'm sweating right now as I did that. It, it's, it is the worst, but, but, because Tony knows it is the worst of his workouts, he encourages you a lot during this session. And this last Tuesday, we were, uh, we were doing plyometrics and as he was encouraging us, I caught on to two phrases that he kept 
saying over and over and over again. I've been doing this program for 90 days and I never caught it before, but I, I caught it this week in light of this sermon. And here's how I wanted to end today. He, he, he made these two statements. He said, this is how you're going to get results. And then he said, you can do anything for 30 seconds. This is how you're going to get results and you can do anything for 30 seconds. And as he said that, and listen, I don't wanna minimize what you're walking through right now. I know that people in this room are going through tragic, tragic situations. Things that I can't, I can't even empathize with necessarily because I don't, or excuse me, sympathize with necessarily because I've never been through it before. But, but I felt like the Holy Spirit said through Tony Horton, <laughs> he's the prophet this week. I felt like the Holy Spirit said, hey, I know what you're walking through right now. And I understand that it's painful, I get it. But in light of eternity, in light of the blessing that I have on the other side of that battle, it's only 30 seconds. It's only, and you can do anything for 30 seconds if you know that what you desire on the other side is waiting for you. Tony knows that if you can see the beach body version of yourself, if you can see the end product, that you will develop some grit, some violence, and you will endure the pain. So allow me to be your spiritual body trainer this morning, if I can. And let me just say, do not quit right now. Don't walk away in the middle of the battle that you're facing right now. Don't use the off ramp that the enemy is presenting to you and saying, that's it, this thing doesn't work. God doesn't work anymore. I knew this thing was a hoax. No, you plant your feet, you dig down deep, you keep fighting and you say, I can do this. I can do this right now. I can walk through this season. I'm gonna battle because on the other side of that battle, there is a blessing. There is a financial blessing. There is a family blessing. There is a generational blessing. There is a health, but there is a blessing on the other side of every battle if you will stay the course and fight. That's how kingdom people do it. We fight, we fight. So I wanna pray that over you today as we conclude. Why don't you bow your heads? And if you are one who would say, man, I just feel like I've been getting beat up by the enemy, just receive this today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I, I thank you that you are the one who steadies the weak knees and lifts the weak hands and the one who stirs up a fresh grit inside of every believer. And so Jesus, right now, I ask for every warrior who's grown weak every person who's maybe laid the sword down or stopped fighting because it's just beginning tiring doing so. I pray right now that your spirit would fill them to overflowing. God, they would fight for that lost child. They would fight for that breakthrough. They would fight for that marriage. They would fight for the ground that you've promised to them and they would not quit. It's in our last couple seconds here together. Maybe you're here this morning and say, hey, Tim, um, I hear what you're saying about all of this, but I don't even know that I have been numbered among the soldiers, if you will. I, I, I don't know that I, I'm in relationship with God. I haven't stepped over that line and said, Jesus, I am going to follow you. Or maybe I did a long time ago, but I've been at a distance from him. And you talk about being counted among the believers. I, I need to make that decision today to step in and to follow Jesus. I, I wanna pray with you before we conclude. And um, nobody is necessarily looking around right now, but if you're here this morning, you say, hey, Tim, I, I need you to pray with me this morning as I make a decision to commit my life to Christ. Would you just do me a quick favor and lift your hand up so that I can pray with you this morning before we leave? Thank you. Thanks, guys. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, right over there. I see you in the back. Awesome. Yeah, right on. Cool. Right over here. All right, you can just pray this under your breath or you can 
pray it silently. Just repeat after me. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you that you died and gave yours for mine. Today I choose to follow you. Help me to be your disciple, to walk in your ways. From this day forward, I commit to being your follower until that time where I see you in eternity. You look me in the face and you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that is set before you. I give you all of me. I receive all of you in return. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's thank God for every person making that decision this morning. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.